0: I'm Karen Lewis, and welcome to Recovery Bites, a show that gets real about recovery, where we welcome voices in the field and voices of experience. Join me for candid interviews with experts in eating disorder and mental health recovery. Listeners can look forward to new perspectives, meaningful conversations, diverse connection, and compelling personal narratives that make a powerful difference in how we live. Episodes focus on life beyond recovery, the good and the not so good, the successes and the challenges, and the authentic accounts of recovered lives. Not their whole story, just bites. All right, everyone, here we go. Another incredible episode. My guest for today is Tiffany North, and we talk about everything from eating disorders and substance abuse and alcoholism to a model that she is creating called the Food Attachment Model, and it talks about our relationship with food and our bodies and feeling secure and insecure. It is is just really fascinating. So as I always say, let's just jump right in. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Recovery Bites. I am really excited about our guest for today. Today, we have Tiffany North. Tiffany, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much. Uh, I so appreciate being on today. I love your podcast. I feel like it's so valuable. So it's really exciting for me to be here.
0: I'm, I'm thrilled to have you. Tiffany, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself.
1: Okay. Hey, um, so let's see. In, in terms of why I'm here today, uh, so I help people who have struggled with food and body image for usually for decades, right? For, for most of their lives. who are just really tired of that struggle to finally find peace. And the reason I do this work is because I personally struggled with this um, the majority of my life, and finally, you know, found a route um, through intuitive eating and through, um, you know, rejecting dieting to really heal my own relationship with food and find peace and balance and joy. And so, I realized I'm I'm actually an RN, and I had become a coach under my nursing license. It's called Integrative Nurse Coaching, and I realized that so many people were really struggling with the exact same thing that I was struggling with, with, you know, disordered eating, eating disorders, um, whether they were diagnosed or not, just feeling so much shame around their relationship with food and their body. And so I pivoted the coaching that I was doing, which was more around general health and wellness and self-care around like burnout for people, you know, uh, people like me (laughs) Um, into focusing solely on our relationship with food and body, um, got certified in intuitive eating, And since then have really sought out like, what else is there? What else can we, um, you know, pull from and realize that I I was pulling from all of these different areas um, that I had that had helped me in my life. And so recently created uh, what I'm calling the food attachment model. And it's something that really brings a holistic lens to healing our relationship with food and our relationship with our bodies. So um, that's why I'm here today. And uh, that's a little bit about my professional life um, and my own personal experience with this this challenge. I'm also somebody in long-term recovery from alcohol and substance use. I'm coming up on 24 years alcohol and substance free. And in my personal time, I really love adventures. So recently got to go to Iceland and um, that's, you know, that's what I like to do when I'm not diving into this kind of thing. <laughs>
0: This is what you're able to do since Ah. you're no longer in your eating disorder and substance abuse. And by the way, I'm not saying like everything, the whole world opens up to us when we're, you know, not in our behaviors anymore, but a lot of time does because I spent a lot of time in my head as opposed to out in the world. So I love, I love that you're doing that. Thank you. Let's start with the food attachment model because we know that eating disorders are not just about food and eating disorders are about food. So tell me a little bit. And I also love Tiffany that you pulled from a bunch of different models because that is a very holistic approach. So share with listeners a little bit about this or a lot about the model. Okay,
1: great. So the uh, food attachment model really came to me after I'd already been helping people with this and doing this work for quite some time. Um, and what I was finding is there was a lot of barriers to being in tune with your body, body attunement. And that's kind of a, a key a foundation to intuitive eating, right? Is using your body as the gauge for what, when, how, why to eat. And I didn't really have the words for it, but I re- I realized, you know, we were doing this kind of deeper work And I was, uh, I was kind of struggling in a relationship. And so I started looking more into attachment theory, um, read a book, I'm I'm non-monogamous. And so I read the book called Polysecure, which is, you know, attachment theory for people who are non-monogamous. Although even if you're monogamous, it's an excellent book, I recommend it. Um, And realized she, she talks about, Jessica Fern, the author talks about how there are different ways to heal attachment ruptures. And and that can be in relationship with others or in the relationship with yourself. And we need to do kind of all of these pieces. And I was like, ah, I really have already done a lot of healing work with myself through healing my disordered eating. Um, And that really, it just, everything clicked. I was like, oh, we have an attachment relationship with food and we have an attachment relationship with our bodies that's really developed from the time, you know, we were probably even in utero.
0: <laughs> it, I don't mean to interrupt, but it reminds me about what the, the question I, I ask people is, how is your relationship with food like your relationship with people? That's an assignment that Carolyn Coston and Gwen Grab had created in their Eight Keys to Recovery from an Eating Disorder book. And if if I am restricting people in my life, relationship, intimacy, you know, touch, I'm, I suddenly I'm like, oh, and I'm also restricting all my food. If I'm binging on sex and relationship and people and binging on food. So I don't know if that was way off topic, but that's what was coming to my mind when you said that, when you were talking about the attachment.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so we have, we can have different types of attachment relationships with different people with different, you know, with food, with our bodies, and it's actually plastic and so fluid over our lifetime. And so it can change. Um, And absolutely. Like if you're having, it it may be uh, a direct, like I'm kind of avoidant in all, you know, like I avoid people, I avoid food, I avoid, you know, all of these, my body. Right. Or it can be like, I'm very preoccupied in relationships and preoccupied with food. It could be the opposite as well. Like, I kind of feel avoidant in my relationships with people because that's scary, and so I use food more for connection, and I'm more preoccupied with food. Yeah. yeah,
0: that's that's great. Well, I don't mean I don't mean that's great, but I I mean that's a really that's that's very insightful. So, speak to what a little bit to the model. Like, share with listeners how the model is is done, how you utilize it, and things like that
1: great yeah so it's it's more of a map to um assess like where where am I coming from where am I at now where would I like to be and so um with attachment types you know there's four types there's secure or earned secure um there is anxious or preoccupied and then there's anxious avoidant or fearful disorganized depending on you know what source you're looking at um and then there is Avoidant attachment, avoidant dismissive, right? And so, if you if you look at, are you someone who is constantly going on a diet? You're thinking about food in your body all the time. You're constantly talking about it. You know, you are very preoccupied mentally, right? Uh, most of the people who have come to work with me say that, like eighty percent of the time, they're thinking about food in their body. So that would be more preoccupied, more anxious. And then we've got uh, dismissive, uh, dismissive, avoidant, and That's going to be more people who are... Either just like I don't want to think about it, I don't want to have to do any food prep, I don't want to like I, I'm just going to eat uh you know things out of a bag all day because that's just easy, um, or I'm not going to eat all day. I'm going to ignore my hunger and fullness signals and then maybe eat at night to the point of a dis- you know disassociation from my body, and you know I am now having to like use tums every night because I'm eating to the point where I'm getting heartburn and right so it's kind of that disconnection from our body. And really not wanting to have to think about food at all. And then we've got the kind of um, anxious avoidant or dismissive or um, sorry, disorganized, fearful disorganized. And in that area, it's going to be more of that push pull. Like um, I'm very anxious. I want this to be very controlled. I, you know, I don't want to have to go out of these parameters. I'm going to make sure I have exactly the right number of almonds, you know, this kind of thing but also I'm going to be as disconnected from my body. Like I don't want to have to rely on food. I don't want to think about hunger and fullness signals. You know, I'd want to be as as kind of disconnected from food as possible, um, but really controlling and managing it. So if you look at the type where you're at now, and of course, none of us fit perfectly into a box. So most of us are going to have something from each of these, you know, categories, right. Um, If you look at the kind of, where you're at now, if you're more preoccupied, the goal, you know, the goal is going to be to move towards secure or or insecure for most people. Some people would prefer if you're in preoccupied to just be more like dismissive. Like, I don't even want to think about it. You know, I'm so tired of this, (laughs) right? Um, So we're really trying to look at, okay, what are the kind of patterns or behaviors that I'm seeing you know, what style do I what kind of relationship do I have with food now? And then what do I what would secure look like for me personally? And so typically it's gonna look like being in relationship with food, being in relationship with your body, acknowledging your hunger and fullness signals, acknowledging um, you know, when you're having an emotion or sensations that are present in your body and attending to those things, really caring for yourself, being nurturing and kind and supportive to yourself, right? Um but in a way that feels easeful, in a way that feels um, like it fits well with your life and where you're at right now. So if you're moving, you know, you're not going to be like doing a ton of food prep, right? But typically, you're probably going to have like a routine with preparing meals for yourself. And um, so we use structure as it is supportive rather than a kind of controlled, um, you know, where we go over in the anxious category, right? So it's really a guide. You know, maybe you kind of identified yourself in some of those. It's a guide to, okay, where am I at now? Where are the kind of resting points? And how do I get to that secure place of um, food just being, feeling good in our lives, like it being nurturant, but, but easeful and peaceful. So, so it's a guide. And then, you know, within the model, I have ways that I support people and we'll, we'll talk more about that, but, um, but it's not meant to be something to judge yourself on. And that's really key. So if you're more preoccupied, that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you. It's simply been a survival strategy, right? And this is just the way that you have the patterns that you've developed so that you, um, can get through life and you have options, <laughs> So we'd have to stay there. (laughs) Yeah. I have a random
0: question and I always pick up on like bizarre, like words that people are like, really, that's what you're going to ask me about after I just gave this whole description. But can you talk about the resting points? And the reason why I ask that is I think people are terrified that they're just going to have to keep going 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 in this process this recovery process and that's exhausting now by the way up until they're possibly meeting you or me they're going 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 in their eating disorder which is also also exhausting but there are no resting points at least there weren't for me in my eating disorder so what were you what were you referring to when you said resting points
1: yeah so often one of the things when i when i first started doing intuitive eating coaching is that i would find that people would come to me and they'd say yeah you know i when i was younger i went through anorexia or bulimia or you know this kind of treatment for an eating disorder and then i really just ignored food like i just didn't want to think about it right or then i really you know started dieting after that and and then people but i was eating enough and so people felt like that was okay or then i started right and so Sometimes we need to go from like, you know, avoiding food to like thinking about it a lot, right? Or we need to go from thinking about food all the time to not thinking about it (laughs) much at all. Um, And so having these uh, moments, I'm thinking specifically of a couple of clients right now who have, who were very preoccupied in their relationship with food and they, worked on, you know, recognizing that their value and their worth wasn't tied up in it, that, you know, they're, you know, the whole good, bad, there's no good, bad food, you know, all of that, rejecting the diet culture mentality, those pieces. And then they kind of came to a place of a little bit of body avoidance. And it was really like, you know, not wanting to exercise, which is, you know, health, like that's for some people really important, right? To to not, if you're exercising in a disordered way, not exercising may be really important for you. Um, they didn't want to, you know, like their self-care kind of fell off a little bit. Cause they went from like exercising a lot and, you know, meal prep and all the things and thinking about it constantly to like, just living life, <laughs> not really thinking about it much. And then there's this kind of, um, timing where, you know, they would come, they're kind of coming back in and saying like, okay, I've been just kind of like living life and not thinking about it, but I don't feel amazing. I don't feel like I'm really eating in a super attuned way, or I don't feel like I'm, you know, I I want to be exercising more or whatever it is. I know that that makes me feel well, and but I'm not sure how to do it in a way that isn't a should, or you know, a way that isn't about trying to be skinny, (laughs) right? And so, um, yeah, so they will um, then kind of come to this place of like, okay, that this feels better than it used to feel, but I'm not really where I want to be yet. And, um, and it's really important to so then we work on, you know, more secure, like, how do we move our bodies in a way that actually does feel attuned and good. And that's really more about my mental health and, and feeling vital and well, right, in a way that's not trying to control or manage my body. And so then we can work on that piece. But the way that healing works, there's actually a a kind of um, healing model that was created by Dr. Satya Sardankakis. She's a chiropractor. Um, And this is, for her, it was about like healing tissues, right? But for me, I've applied it to this. And it's establishing safety, softening, expansion, reestablishing safety, and then integration. And so we have to have these rest periods where we let our nervous systems just be and feel safe and rest for a minute. And then we can kind of go into integrating into our day-to-day lives. And then we can kind of go back into, okay, now I want to do some more expansion work. Um, But we can't constantly be like driving towards, constantly trying to fix ourselves. Um, First of all, like you said, it's exhausting, but it's also still that like kind of preoccupied anxious, (laughs) you know, it's not... Uh, really healing.
0: And I don't think that people understand that resting or pausing is actually still being in the process. They think that that's like, you know, maybe I'm getting lazy, I'm not doing anything. There is a function of slowing down. It is good for our bodies, our souls, our mind, our heart, all of that. And it is necessary in order to keep going and so often with eating disorder clients there's this drive of like i got to keep going keep going keep going and they're terrified of slowing down there's a fear behind that so
1: i'm sorry like you were going to say something oh i just absolutely agree with what you're saying yeah it's um so yeah so i think the fear for a lot of people is slipping back into you know old patterns old behaviors Um, and this is, this is actually another piece of an attachment rupture. Like I can't trust myself yet. I don't feel like I know that I'm gonna, you know, really take care of myself and really, um, that I can, that I can believe in, you know, that I can rest and believe in my ability to continue, um, making progress. And so, what I'm finding is, yeah, at the core of a lot of these, um, a lot of these patterns and behaviors and and challenges and struggle is this: can I trust myself? And so that's where secure attachment comes from. Like I can trust myself to um, to to be a good steward <laughs> of yeah. my of my body and my life. Right. Let me
0: let me ask you a question, and this is sort of shifting gears a little bit, but not really if we were going to reflect back on your own experience how does the model apply to what you were going through and how you moved through the process and it, it you may it may not have been there until after you were recovered and started doing this work that you recognize like oh my gosh this is this is attachment um this is issues with attachment but you know i i often conduct my therapy sessions somewhat from what I felt I missed when I was in my eating disorder and in therapy. I, and so I, I don't know if that makes sense, but share a little bit about your past that helped you manifest or
1: create this model. Thank you. This is such a great question. So for me, um, You know, I struggled with food since I was a young girl you know, watched my mom, you know, the whole thing, um, dieted, I think from the age of 10 on. And then when I was a teen, I struggled with substance abuse and alcohol use and, uh, use disorder and getting sober that became really the central focus, right? Like recovery from that and food actually, (laughs) food actually wasn't the central focus, but my, my. It got much more disordered, like the longer I, you know, like that was that was a problem way before and it and it became a problem, it became a bigger problem like as time went on and, and I didn't address it, right? I didn't know how to. Um, so for me, even uh going through recovery from substance use and alcohol use, I had to learn how to like feel my feelings and you know, uh kind of tune in that way. I also had to learn how um to forgive myself and do a lot of like self-trust work. Um, then I experienced burnout in the hospital at working as a nurse. And that was another attachment rupture that I really had to heal from. I realized that I was very much, um, stuck in achievement energy and people pleasing and like putting everyone else first. And this is why I came to a place of burnout. And so, I mean, there's the systems are, you know, (laughs) stacked. the odds are stacked against people who are in these kinds of industries. Right. But, um, so it wasn't, not my fault. Uh, you know, I was just in that, but also my, my personality, my kind of survival strategies of like taking care of everybody else, um, predisposed me to that or, or contributed to it. So, yeah, so I had to do a lot of work around building, forgiving myself, trusting myself, like, um, knowing that my value and my worth wasn't tied up in my achievements, my appearance, my, you know, what I checked off my list today, who was happy with me, um, you know, anything external. So I had to heal ultimately on this level of knowing that my value and my worth is constant. It's inherent. It's (laughs) non-negotiable. Like it doesn't, you know, it doesn't like shift around. I'm just like inherently Um, I am human, therefore, you know, I have an inherent worth, right? And healing that first, um, then it was like food became so... It became so obvious that this was kind of like the last frontier for me, and you know, of course, there's always more work to be done. But this was really like the big thing that was preventing me from having that secure attachment and really feeling good about my life and the way I was moving through the world. And like you said, I wasn't living; I was just preoccupied by these things all the time. And so when I went through, um, you know, healing my relationship, I went to, you know, I went to therapy, and you know, started really looking at these things. It it felt like it really, all of the complexities and nuance of it just kind of like opened up for me. And I was able to heal in a way that felt really rapid. And and um, yes, there was painfulness to it, but it, it wasn't, it was like, oh, I've done this with alcohol recovery. Oh, I've done this with, you know, all the forgiveness work. Oh, I've done this in I could see that in all of these other places. And I was able to just apply that experience to, okay, my relationship with food and my relationship with my body. And then I really felt like, okay, yeah, now I feel really securely attached with myself. I feel like I've got this solid foundation. Things aren't blowing me off of my foundation very easily. Um, You know, I had let go a lot of, a lot of the shame and the judgment and I was able to just be curious with it. So so yeah, you're absolutely right. This this model actually was born of me having this experience of like, okay, so you know, I've taken the last 20 years being <laughs> in recovery, my experience as a nurse and my nurse coach training and my, you know, all these things. And it was like, oh, this is all attachment healing. And, you know, and, and certainly there's other factors as well. But looking at it from this lens, it was like, oh, this is why I was able to heal. What do you think about if this is even the right way of asking? When you
0: think about eating disorder and substance abuse, like what, if if I just said that, if I just said, Tiffany, eating disorder and substance abuse and alcohol, what, what comes to your mind?
1: Yeah. So ACE study, ACE, you know, uh, adverse childhood experiences, what is predisposing someone to having an alcohol or substance use problem? Then they get sober they're going to have that, they still have those things that predispose them to that, right? And those things are absolutely going to impact their relationship with food and their body. If it doesn't feel safe to be attuned to your body, if you're filled with, um, you know, if you have all these, like, if you had a chaotic childhood, if you have a lot of trauma that's unhealed, if you have, um, gosh, even just the experience of being, um, you know, having substances and alcohol kind of, you know, cut you off from your relationship with your internal world, right? Even just having that pattern and and not, and then trying to come out of it, right? You're removing the thing that helped you soothe your nervous system in the first place, and then suddenly, you know, you have all of these things going on, and of course, you're going to need something else to um, get you through that, right? Another way of regulating, another way of uh, of coping, however you want to say it, and so. There's a high prevalence, right, of co-occurring disorders. First of all, and there's a lot of reasons for that. And then when we get sober, if you're in like a twelve-step group or if you're in, you know, a lot of the recovery communities, actually contribute to this preoccupation with food in your body because we're told, like, oh, sugar is addictive, and oh, you shouldn't be, you know, and so then people. It's like, I get sober and then I'm like craving all this sugar because of course, if you're drinking alcohol, it's going to, you know, you're used to having that and then your body's going to want it. Um, and I need something to help me soothe. Right. So I'm going to focus on food more. And then the recovery community is like, oh, that's bad. It's like throwing gas on the fire. So then we're going to, you know, a lot of times get into that, like, you know, restrict, binge, shame cycle, or you're going to get into trying to control or manage it because that's what feels safe to do. Um, that's how I'm going to like fix myself or whatever it is, right? Or, um, or just complete like I can't, I can't even deal with the way that this feels in my body, and so I'm going tr- to like disconnect from my body even more. So it it is. Um, I work with a lot of people who are in recovery. My primarily, I would say you know, 80 to 90% of my clients are also in recovery from alcohol and substance use. And they tend to feel so much more shame about their relationship with food. And I'm like, it makes perfect sense that you're here right now, you know, because um, you already had this challenge, you know, then you went through alcohol and substance use issues. Then you got sober, which made your food stuff, you know, uh, even, (laughs) you know, it just heightened everything, right? It heightens everything.
0: It it makes me think of the fact that if we remove the behavior, but do not focus on what the function of it is, then you are going, it is going to be like whack-a-mole and you are going to try to find something else because we haven't given you the understanding of why your nervous system is so chaotic, right? So that's why, And and please hear me everyone, I mean no disrespect, but I don't think that if if you're doing strictly behavioral work on eating disorders or substance abuse, y- you can interrupt the process. Absolutely. But the same life stressors are going to be out there and there, and people are not going to understand how to navigate through them because they've only had behavioral cessation of behaviors. And so I think that's also why there's a lot of relapse. And then there's a lot of shame in it. And it's, it's, it's unfortunately that people just haven't been given all the tools to navigate with the reasons why they were turning to substances or, and, or food. So I don't know if you have any thoughts about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You said that really well. And um, unfortunately, alcohol and substance use recovery was definitely focused on abstinence-based models and shame-based treatment (laughs) And it's like, let's just, yeah, let's just throw gas on the fire here. Um, And so I think you're absolutely right. If you take away the behavior, then it's like, you know, people are saying, well, that's just a crutch. And it's like, sometimes we actually need crutches until we can heal. Right. And so not that I'm suggesting it, it is a little different with alcohol and substances than food, right? Because they actually like change your neurobiology and, you know, it's, it's hard to uh, it is hard to do healing work if you are under the influence of alcohol and substances. Um, But yeah, taking away the behavior, it's like, that's what we as a society say is success. Um, But if the person is in this excruciating pain, um, it's not going to, it's, even if they don't return to the behaviors, it's not going to feel like success. And that's actually one of the reasons for the model is like, if you, if you go from preoccupation to avoidance, people will be like, oh, cool. You're not doing the preoccupation anymore. Right. Um, or if you go from, um, you know, extreme restriction with food to the point where you're, you know, um, it's dangerous for you medically, right? And then you no longer do that. People are going to say, oh, that's success. But do you actually feel nurtured and supported in your relationship with food and your body? Do you actually feel comfortable in your body? To me, that's much more success than whether you restricted today or not.
0: That's also why I think the recovery process takes so long. There were years after I stopped the behaviors that I still felt just as psychically and spiritually unhappy, and it was the, by the way, for me, I needed to get to a place where I could I then had the strength, the emotional strength to work on all the real issues that went into my eating disorder. and so I agree if if I had stopped at just said, well, I'm behavior free, and so that means that I'm recovered. I would have eventually navigated into something something different because there's th- that psychic pain does not go away unless you work through it and that's true recovery that's true freedom of being in your body i loved something you were saying earlier and I, and i just have this image of you know, when we're secure in ourselves, the wind can blow, but we still stay grounded. We may sway a little bit, but we're not going to get knocked off of our, of our footing. And you know, when I was in my eating disorder, if the wind just whispered, it would knock me off of my footing and I'd go into behaviors. You know what I'm saying? And so the reality is is recovery is learning how to navigate when things are happening. Without relapse, is that is that making sense? I know what I'm trying to say. I don't know if it's it's coming out correctly. yeah, absolutely.
1: yeah, it's, and it's so um I think it's interesting because I love the the visual that you gave to that, and again, I think there's so much shame built into you know eating disorders,- you know alcohol and substance use issues, all of these things that it's like, oh my gosh, I did the behavior again rather than looking at like, oh, I don't feel like I'm, I am have a secure base. Okay. Right. Like now how can I build a secure base? The, I did it again is just a, like a symptom, right? It's a, it's a signal that there's, that, that we don't feel grounded, secure, you know, uh, safe, whatever it is. And so I I really wish that if, if, I guess if, if people listening to this or, or people struggling with this could hear just like one thing, it's like recognizing, you know, that this doesn't mean that you're bad or wrong or like there's a, a reason that that is happening. And so let's look at how to um, build in that safety and that security and just know that, you know, they are adaptive, right? These, these behaviors are adaptive. The shame around it is contributes to that. I would often say, and forgive me for
0: interrupting, especially when I was like running multifamily groups, you know, your loved one sitting next to you definitely has a choice in how they want to move through, but they didn't wake up one morning and say, you know what, I'm going to choose to be in an eating disorder or I'm going to choose substance abuse. That wasn't the a choice. That was somewhat emotional survival. I I, I need to survive emotionally for whatever reason, I just did something, whether it was a drug or restricting or binging or purging. And for two minutes, I felt better. So why wouldn't I want to feel better for four minutes and for five minutes? And so that's when it becomes a disorder. And so I, I can't remember what you were saying that got me to, to talk about this, but it's, it's not a choice But I do say you get to choose what you do next. Do you want to do the harder thing, which is face things that you're afraid of, meaning um, whether it's relationships or yourself or, you know, whatever it is, or do you want to keep avoiding it and just using the behavior, but it's always hanging over you, whatever, again, whatever it is. Like for me, it was like intimacy fears, maturity fears, low self-esteem, insecurity, you know, all of those things, I had to painfully, Tiffany, go through all of those things in order to, in order to complete recovery.
1: Yeah. And, and it's interesting because like, like you were saying, when we can kind of recognize, like I have options and you know, this option that I know that's, Um, you know, painful in its own ways, but it's known and it's something, it's a well-worn, you know, (laughs) track and my body's really used to doing that. And we know the outcome that we'll get from it painful or not. Right. That option, you know, that can still be an option. Right. But when we can create a sense of safety, when we can, you know, use curiosity and compassion these other options might seem uh, doable, right? And so it's like lowering the barriers to these other options.
0: That's exactly it. And it's also slowing the process down. Mm. So let's say hypothetically, somebody is afraid to talk to their boss about something. And I say to them, why? I'm afraid I'm going to get in trouble. And then I say, I'm going to keep asking you, why? well because i saw that happen before with somebody else what are your thoughts about like i literally keep breaking it down until i just have a thin veil of like the first barrier and i start there because if it, that's where you have to start and and otherwise you're expecting someone to jump too far into solution focus and i say oh okay so you're afraid that at, you know because John said to you when you were in the fifth grade that you were never going to make it as anything. That's where we're starting. Okay. It all stems from here. Do you see what, so if I just went to, why are you so afraid of talking to your boss? It's not that big of a deal. Everybody does it, but I don't keep breaking down to understanding why I'm not supporting the client in recovery, in giving them the, the skills and the tools to, to actually move through it. I'm just put, I'm just putting on another band-aid did that make sense
1: yeah yeah and so this is where if we look at it from an attachment lens um you know I'm afraid that I'll be abandoned I'm afraid you know I won't be accepted by the group so that that like social acceptance is so powerful I always say um I think of Romeo and Juliet and and banished he he was banished and it was the worst thing ever right like worse than death is being banished and so like getting down to, um, you know, those things and the messages that we receive when we were young, at memories that we had. I, I just had, um, yeah, I just had a client. We we did some similar processing that you were talking about, and the client realized that, you know, doing things perfectly is really like she's like, oh, I hate family photos, right? And so doing things perfectly was the way that she's navigated just about everything. Um, And so family photos, it was like, okay, there's all this pressure to get it just right. The right angle, the, you know, the right clothes, the whole, the whole thing. And, and it was so interesting because while there was a a piece of like, oh, I don't like the way I'm going to look. It was much more about if I don't do it perfectly, my family won't you know, I won't be accepted or even by myself, right? Because then we internalize those things and we start to make those judgments ourselves. Which is
0: a much deeper wound than vanity. You know, we often say, oh, don't be so vain. It's not, it's a deeper wound, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. It was, it was, um, it was really great. And then we were able to realize, like, oh, this is why grocery shopping is so stressful. And this is why, right, because that is like I have to do it just right. I have to have the right, you know, list of things. And, you know, it applied to all of these other challenges that they were experiencing, all of these things that were um activating for them. So it was a really, it, it's much more powerful, I think, like you're saying, when we can look at what's at the core of this. Of course I'm afraid to talk to my boss because if it means I'm I'm going to be a failure forever in the rest of my life that's a that's a lot of pressure for one yeah. conversation right there's a lot of hinging on it versus like you know if you're just like oh they might be a little irritated with me you know yeah yeah, yeah. so
0: as as much as I hate to say this we're going to have to start to wind down but can you share a little bit about the book that you're in the process of of writing tell the listeners about your book
1: yeah. So, um, the book is, it's funny because I, I have always wanted to write a book. I don't enjoy writing. <laughs> I always had this, like, I need to write a book. And I've got a couple of books in me, I think. Um, but when I, when I, when I, when it occurred to me that this was all like attachment related and that you could apply the attachment styles to a relationship with food and a relationship with our body, I told several people, uh, you know, colleagues, I was like, Hey, what do you think about this? And they were like, why haven't we been talking about it like this? This makes total sense, you know? And everybody I talked to was like, so when are, when's the book coming out? And I was like, oh, okay, I guess, <laughs> I guess I'm guess i writing a book now. And uh, and I'll be honest, it's been a year that I've been working on it and I've been struggling so hard with finding my voice. And so this process has been really actually healing for me because, you know, as a nurse and a clinician, it's like, okay, you know, you got to write this like academic clinical book that really like shows your, you know, that you know what you're talking about. And and, and I hate that. I hate it. And so I have uh, been working with a coach <clears throat> anyway. So that's kind of the personal side of it, but we finally found my voice and it's really, it's got some poems in it. I'm pulling quotes from other people. Um, there's, you know, there's a lot of imagery, some music lyrics, and it's going to be really kind of a mixed medium. I want it to be almost more like art. Um, and then there's questions in there, like when you're talking about, uh, you know, diet culture and, you know, the pursuit of thinness, there's like, yeah, but isn't thin better, you know? And so then we go into like, why do you think that thin's better? <laughs> so, um, yeah. And then of course I lay out the the attachment styles and, um, you know, how attachment theory applies. And then I go into more how to address the barriers to body attunement, to trusting yourself, to um having that you know that secure base that secure foundation and that relationship with yourself
0: i i love the fact that you said it's like a piece of art that's real and i'm i'm being serious that is beautiful you know healing comes in all different forms and some people do not respond well to facts statistics things like that and yet they respond well to music poetry, things like that, along with still integrating what the model is about. So I think that's beautiful, Tiffany.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it, I, I finally one day was like, I don't like my own book. I need. <laughs> no wonder I'm having trouble sitting down and writing it. I don't like it.
0: <laughs> that is unbe- like, that's a terrifying aha moment where you're like, oh, now I get it. I don't even like it. So of course, Oh, (laughs) Tiffany, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you'd like to share with listeners before we end?
1: You know, you spoke to that. um, Like it can be exhausting and feel like this is, you know, am I ever going to recover and, you know, just like uh, keep, I have to feel like I have to keep going and there's, you know, and I've recently, the thing that I'm I'm kind of obsessed with right now is this song by Tony Jones called Healing Is Not My Purpose. There's this line that's like, my purpose is to satisfy my soul. And I'm I'm really wanting to share with people right now, like, and then and then here I am asking you to like do more healing work, right? But the purpose for me of doing this healing work is so that we can go to Iceland, right? So that we can live our lives, make the playlist, dance in the living room, you know, all those things really be and, and live. And so I just want to give people a little bit of like, hope that like, it is it is so worth it. And that that, yeah, don't forget to like, you know, look up, look around. <laughs> pause, rest, breathe, live, experience pleasure. Um, and that, that we heal so that we can come to that place of being secure in ourselves and really living. And so I, I just wanted to speak to that part that you said about like this, you know, I feel like I'm always going to have to keep going, but, but actually once we get to a certain place and we've really metabolized all of this and we've really had time to integrate, um, life's so beautiful. Life is so beautiful. I know it is. I know. And Thank you for ending the
0: episode like that. It was really a beautiful message of basically telling people to just be, just be. And if it's being in the music and dancing, if it's being in laughter, if it's being in tears, just be, it's okay. Tiffany, thank you again. It has been a pleasure having you on.
1: So much for having me. I've really enjoyed it.
0: All right, everyone, that does it for another episode of Recovery Bites. I look forward to speaking with each and every one of you next time. Take care and stay safe. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Recovery Bites. Be sure to visit recoverybitespodcast.com to join the conversation, access show notes, listen to past episodes, and more. You can also find us by searching for Recovery Bites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and major podcast streaming players. For weekly episode releases, you can follow us at at Pod on Instagram. If you're interested in becoming a guest on the show or to submit a guest request, please visit karenlewisedc.com forward slash podcast sign up to begin the process. I'd also like to send out a heartfelt thank you to my producer, Jen Galvin. It is unbelievable the magic she does behind the scenes. All right, everyone. See you next week for another Recovery Bite. Thanks for listening.